We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. I invite you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 16 this morning. I want to say thank you again to Thurman for filling in last week, reading the scripture. And uh, let's uh, begin in Acts chapter 16 this morning and read through this chapter as we uh, continue to look at the early church and the growth of the church, the expansion of the, expansion of the church. And uh, I know this morning in Acts chapter 16 you'll find uh, at least one of these stories, very familiar. If you're a young folk out there, uh, listen intently as we read through Acts chapter 16. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Then he came to Derby and Lystra, that is Paul, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra in Iconium. I hope we all aspire to have that kind of testimony amongst the brethren. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem, referring back to Acts chapter 15 and the decision there about uh, not needing to be circumcised, but uh, there were a few commands that they gave them, but uh, circumcision was not necessary. So, beginning in verse, or at verse 5, So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to um, Messiah, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Messiah, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to uh, Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave woman possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit uh, by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and, and, and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, 
to receive or observe. That's not really the real issue. They brought them. They brought them because they were frustrated that they couldn't make a profit anymore, but they used this as their excuse. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of, that, of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it, and when it was day, the magistrates the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words, to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Well, good morning. Good to be back here uh, sharing the word with you. We'll be in Genesis 31 if you would like to uh, turn your copy of God's word to that portion of it. I would invite you to do that. This is a lengthy chapter. I chose to treat the whole chapter as it deals with one kind of episode uh, together. But in my study, as I say in my notes here, I began to approach the text with a sense of anticipation, wondering what it would be that the Lord would teach us this time. There has to be something, right? We come with that commitment that the rest of Scripture, all of Scripture, is profitable for teaching or doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So says the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, in order that we might be better Christians, we might be better people of God, better equipped to conduct ourselves in a way that honors the Lord, uh, we might find here, well, we want to know God better, we want to live for Him better. Uh, we want to be like him, be like Christ, and we find that here as we do in other portions of Scripture. Uh, it may seem like this is too ancient, uh, it's uh, too difficult to draw lessons from, but I find, I think as you do when you read Scripture, you might find or God might bring to your mind things that aren't necessarily directly taught in the text, but they're exemplars, bad or good, and then you think, okay, that's kind of like this thing in my life or that thing in my life, and okay, I need to uh, you know, think about this a little bit now in light of this teaching. And, that, and that's the kind of thing that we find when we uh, touch on Scripture and we look at it and read it. You know, We might find good exemplars here. We might find bad ones. We might find some new teaching that we didn't realize before. We uh, could learn that we hold some wrong view or be strengthened in some right view, or that we have sin in our lives that we did not realize before. We could see God's grace in a new light. Don't we ever need to see that? 
I mean, we tend to forget. We, we can kind of get you know, twisted up in all of our daily circumstances and kind of need to step back a second and say, okay, let me take a breath of God's fresh air here and uh, remember his grace, remember his kindness, be reminded of some truth that we've already grasped. Uh, we might see a pointer to Christ. We might see how the Spirit of God works in the life of a person. We just don't know until we read the text what it might have to say to us. Now, in chapter 28, uh, we're in 31 now, but in chapter 28, Jacob fled um, uh, for his, well, did I say, uh, yeah, 28. He fled, I'm, I'm thinking back now. He fled for his life from Esau. This is kind of back now 20 years earlier. Now, 20 years later, he's fleeing again, this time from Laban. Uh, but with this time, you know, before he went with basically nothing. This time he's coming back with a large family, 13 children, well, actually 12, uh, four, in, in, in effect, wives and much livestock. So it's a, it's a different ballgame now. And so it's, it's time for Jacob to leave the Laban chapter behind in his life. He had been in that chapter for long enough, um, and Laban became upset at him. And the circumstances aren't maybe entirely clear to us as we read this, but let me just read a few verses and then we'll uh, uh, pause um, and comment. It says, Now Jacob, verse 1 of 31, Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban. Indeed, it was not favorable to him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So then Jacob goes about to implement this. Jacob called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained and his acquired livestock which he had gained in Paddan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, and, all, and that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He rose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. So, wow, that's a, that's a little drama there, isn't it? Family drama, uh, and having to move away quite a large group of people and animals. Uh, Laban's sons were upset because they looked at the situation and they said, boy, he has taken everything that was our father's and that by extension would then come down to them in inheritance. They seemed to look as, at his prosperity as if it came from thievery. They despised their cousin. I personally wonder why they weren't more involved, actively involved in helping to uh, promote the family business and grow all of this? Or are they just sitting there watching Jacob do all the work for them? 
in, uh, in the annual husbandry department. Uh, Laban had formerly been pleased with uh, Jacob. Do you remember that? Go back to chapter 30 and verse 27. And Laban said to him, Please stay. This is after 14 years. Please stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Well, that was correct, and we appreciated that last time, and we said that sometimes uh, God arranges for collateral benefits, not just collateral damage. Remember that comment that I made, the collateral benefits of having a godly person around in your home, in your family, in your company, and you have godly people all around you. Uh, it's just better off altogether. Now, it's quite possible that both Laban and Jacob's flocks increased in those early years, but perhaps not as much as the sons would have liked in the later years. Now, however, Laban's countenance was not favorable to Jacob like it was earlier. Something had happened. Now, what, what was it that had actually happened? Well, Jacob testifies, and we believe he's being accurate in his testimony, that he, he, he served Laban with great strength. Yet, Laban had deceived him and changed his wages, and he said, ten times. But here's what happened. Despite all of the machinations, Laban was not able to outgive God or out-clever out God, if you will, and so he was prevented, restrained from uh, cleverly gaining wealth off of Jacob's back. So what basically went down was he said, okay, I see, I see the, the flocks are now bearing all spotted ones, which were the wages for Jacob. So I'm going to change it and say, now it's all the ones that have the streaked pattern in their fur coat or whatever. Well, then the next year, guess what was born? You know, all that kind. And those were all his, Jacob's wages. And then he would, oh, well, I'll change it again. Now, then all those different kind became Jacob's wages. So whatever Laban said, God arranged it the next birthing season was good for Jacob, not for Laban. So Laban didn't have it. I mean, what did he think? That, he, you know, Jacob was genetically engineering every year to figure out which colors. To, it's ridiculous. So God was in the midst of it. Uh, he wasn't able to take advantage of Jacob and gain the wealth that he wanted. Evidently, Jacob was gaining wealth faster than his uncle. Remember, wealth being measured by the size of the herds. And uh, God saw to it that there were more of those type of animals than the other type. And so Jacob was able to testify, get this, exactly what God promised him 20 years earlier at Bethel. I will be with you, I will keep you, and I will bring you back to this place. God kept his promise. And that's one of the main lessons that I want to rehearse to you folks today, that God protected and guided Jacob just as he said he would. That's the truth message that I put at the top of the notes. God guided and protected Jacob just as he said he would. That's the kind of God that we worship. That's the kind of God we follow. That's not just the kind of God. That is the God. The one that we follow will guide us, keep us, protect us through all of life's things, all of its griefs and sorrows, all of its difficulties, all of its health problems, old age, all of that stuff. This is the God that we serve as well and he, he did just in accordance with what God had said he would do, and Jacob experienced just that very thing. Now, let me make a comment here. I don't think I included this in the handout notes, but um, the, the, there's a political view that says that wealth accumulated by one person basically always means that it was stolen from another person. You know that view? You've heard that before? This is obviously false. It's obviously factually false. Just take a simple example. If I have 100 seeds and I plant them in the ground in the spring, and in the fall I get 100 plants that each bear the fruit of that thing, whether it's corn or something else, and that has 500 seeds on each one, then I've made a very large increase in my wealth of seeds, let's say, okay? but I didn't steal those seeds from anybody, did I? Nobody created those seeds. Rather, God gave the increase. Remember that biblical principle? God gives the increase. God has made the world to be fruitful and multiply. The same can be said of other things besides agriculture. Labor and capital are among them because those things can produce more useful things from simple ingredients. 
we can buy our industrious labor, enhance productivity, so that less produces more. You know it. You can use the certain block of time to produce more results or less results. But you didn't steal those results from somebody else, did you? But these, these sons seem to think that the accumulation of wealth that Jacob had was stolen from their father. Maybe it's just that they weren't very industrious. They were lazy. The father was a cheater, and he was getting some natural consequences of his cheating. These, these things that God gives us in increase, and by the way, think of that increase. When God gives the increase, it doesn't mean that he just transferred it from one to the other. It's an increase. You with me? It's an increase. It's, like, it's, it's almost like something comes from nothing. It's not true that something comes from nothing, but I mean, if you think of it, God is shining his sun, beating down energy upon the earth 24-7, as it, and you know, all the way around the, the circuit of its uh, orbit around the sun, pouring in energy so that that one seed can become 500 seeds. It's amazing. It's not, so it's not something from nothing, but it's like, who, who, you know, is he charging for that? You know, like how many dollars per hour is it for sunshine? God says, please, you know, pay. You can direct deposit, you know, de- debit from your debit card and pay for that sunshine if you want. No, he gives it to us. It's free. It's a nearly infinite supply. Whatever he gives in increase, you know it doesn't diminish God at all. He can give and give and give, and he still has an infinite amount to give. He never runs out. But if you, if you take God out of your economics, you come up with harebrained ideas, stupid ideas. Now, we might say, well, it diminishes the total quantity of some resource on the earth. Maybe that's true, but maybe those resources are being renewed. Maybe more of those resources are being created deep in the earth where we can't see them being created. It's interesting. People complain about fossil fuels. I, 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 I kind of wonder, you know, I talk about oil and worried about oil running out. I wonder if oil is being created at this instant somehow, somewhere under the the deep surfaces of the earth. How do you know? In fact, I think it is. You know, we're worried about it. But why are we worried about it? We have other things to worry about. Um, but anyway, he made a resource-rich earth on which we dwell. And many of those resources lie buried, and we have not yet obtained them through our industrious efforts. People want to be lazy. They don't want to work hard. Let's just put that to bed, okay? God has made us to work and work hard. You're not going to have a satisfied life if you're sitting around lazy all the time. True satisfaction comes from doing something for God, doing something productive, improving your corner of his vineyard. Let's not be afraid of hard work, okay? And certainly don't expect handouts. No, and certainly don't claim that other people got wealthy. You know, somebody that you voluntarily exchanged something with to buy their piece of technology. Don't complain that they got wealthy when you enjoyed that piece of technology and you bought it for the price you wanted to pay for it. You didn't want it, you don't have to pay for it. You know, go somewhere else. Well, anyway, uh, that's an implication of this text, just a reminder for us and how we deal with our kind of political thinking about things. Now, God told Jacob to leave now that he had fallen out of favor with Laban and his sons. And leaving is sometimes the best way to keep the peace. Now, I want you to notice the, the, yeah, actually, separation, right? And I've said this many times. It's a good thing for us to be in our nation with our borders and let the other nations with their borders do their thing because they have different customs, different laws, you know, different ways of thinking about Christian people, for example, freedom of speech, all that. Let them do that. That's fine. That's their business. We'll do our business. And that separation helps us to maintain the peace. We don't have to be going to war with everybody. Now, what Jacob, God told Jacob, leave. You know, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. And sometimes that means move away from them. But what did Laban do? He chased after him. We're just, we're going to come to that as we read here in just a moment. In, in fact, he says, it was in my power to harm you. Think of the different approach that that is. Jacob just wants peace. 
just get me out of here. It's time to go. Things are getting too hot. We're going to just keep the peace. Laban wants to go pursue the issue and make a big stink about it. No. Well, we'll find out. But in any case, um, you know, part of all this is the vow that Jacob made to God, which consisted of the promise that if God remained with him and kept him and protected him, then then he and he returned home again, then Jacob would follow God. That was at the end of chapter 28. God did not forget, and he certainly kept his promise to Jacob. Now, if you look at this chapter from a literary standpoint, just for you English majors out there, interesting to me that in verses 1 to 3, the whole situation is summarized. And then in verses 4 through 13, God sees fit to have Moses kind of write the details of it all again. Uh, what I mean is that, you know, he sees that there's a bad situation developing. God says, leave. Now he calls his, his, his wives and talks to them and says, hey, a bad situation is developing. And then he recounts how God told him to leave. And just more detail there. Um, so Jacob fled without letting Laban know that that was the plan. His wives saw no future for them in their home, which is a sad thing, isn't it? I mean, some, in some sense, you know, when young people grow up and they become adults, they, you know, there is, there is not a, a technical future for them if they just, you know, continue to act like children and stay in the home. They have to grow up and flap their wings and get out of the nest and go on to their thing. But that's not really what was happening here in this kind of society, this culture, there, there were, the household uh, stayed intact for much longer than what we are accustomed to. You know, people, young people would stay around and the family would have multiple generations in the, in the uh, encampment, say, in the home, in the extended home situation. But they said, look, you know, all of our, uh, what, whatever he was, uh, our inheritance was going to be, he's uh, wasted it, uh, in effect, they could see God protected our husband from our, from our dad, and uh, he, uh, you know, all his wealth, not all of it, but a good bit of it seems to have transferred over the years to Jacob, and uh, so there's nothing left here for us. The inheritance that would have been ours later has now become ours now with our husband. So they figure, yes, go ahead, no, no problem, we're just going to leave now. Uh, they had to obviously do some logistical work here to get to move this large group of people and animals out, but they pulled it off somehow. But on the way out, the text tells us toward the end in verse 19, Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. Now, just ask yourself, why do you think she stole them? Because she wanted to help out her dad so he wouldn't worship them again? I don't think so. I'd like to think that, but there's no indication of that in the text. If that were the case, she would have destroyed them, uh, burned them up or buried them or something like that and, and left them alone. She wouldn't have taken them with her. So something is amiss here in this situation. She exhibited the sin not only of theft, but also of idolatry. Some, for some reason, she couldn't get rid of the attachment to the pagan gods that she had encountered in her family and in her growing up years. Jacob didn't know that she did this because she hid it from everybody. Now, let me just make an application from this because it's something deeply concerning to me. Suppose, Mr. Husband, that, that you're the spiritual leader of your home. You should be. You see to your family coming to church, your wife professes faith, you read the scriptures, you teach godly principles, uh, the kids are obedient, submissive. Now, what happens if you disappear suddenly? No, I'm not saying you, you run away. I'm saying you die or you, you, you're away for two weeks or something like that or you're, in the, you're in the incapacitated or whatever and you have not the ability to do that leadership anymore. What does your wife, what do your wife and children then do? Do they keep on the straight and narrow path? Or like, well, the cat's away, so the mice will play. We're going to go out and do, we're going to go back to our idolatry. We're going to go back to the ancestral religion, worship our ancestors, uh, worship the pagan gods, jump into this cult that we've been eyeing secretly all the time. 
Would your family maintain the sound doctrine which they have been taught, or would their more true colors come out? I'm not telling you this to say be paranoid about it. I'm saying to do what you can to make sure that it doesn't happen. Train, teach, be in the Word, truly love the Lord, don't be a hypocrite, be real. The same applies, of course, in reverse. If you're a wife who is a great encourager to your family to be in the Bible and devotions and you know, what happens if you were to go to heaven suddenly? Would your children and husband be as sanctified as they were before, or would their true colors come out? The situation with Rachel here shows that Jacob's spiritual leadership was likely lacking. Perhaps he was too busy with everything else that he did not invest in his wife's spiritual lives. Now, of course, good leadership doesn't guarantee a good outcome, now does it? We can't do that. Oh, how I wish that we could. And many a human has done that before, but, or tried to, you know, we had that wish rather before, but uh, it doesn't work out that way. Hopefully, however, good leadership would make some outcomes unlikely or untenable in the mind of the other pre- people that they're leading. I mean, become a thief? Become a thief? Would Jacob be okay with me stealing these? No, he would say, keep my hands off of them. Stay away from them. A desire to hurt others by taking things from them? Does your training in the home make it impossible that somebody would walk away from the faith, really? Or does it say, oh, it's okay, no big deal? Is it okay to convert to an entirely different religion? Or does your training help people to say, look, whatever I do, I am not going down the path of idolatry. You know, I might not exactly follow the exact way that my husband or my father believed, but I'm not going down the way of rejecting God and and blowing off him and following some false religion. You know, how can you go back to your old ways or to old human ways once you've tasted the good word of God and the glories of the world to come? the blessings of forgiveness. We need to invest in our families so that if we disappear, we're not around, or invest in our church the same way so that when that happens, they don't fall off the wagon. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to be, you know, none of us are indispensable, right? We've said that many times. So while we're here, we have to put in the effort, put in the training, and put in the the energy to make sure that we're prepared for what's to come. Now, in verses 22 through 55, Laban goes after Jacob. And let me just read at least some of this. Laban was told on the third day that Jacob fled. That's verse 22. Now, verse 23 of chapter 31. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. So this is uh, northwest Jordan today, quite a distance. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good or bad. Uh Aha. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, Why? What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and did not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. Oh, really? Touch not God's anointed, my friend. And that very important Abrahamic covenant, don't mess with him. That was what the dream was about. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So that, see, see how God restrains evil? He restrained evil. He put shackles on Laban so that he wouldn't do bad to Jacob. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. See, there's a little bit of a softening. Okay, I understand you've got a, a good reason. You miss your family. You want to go back and see them and be with them, with your father and all of that. But why did you steal my gods? Now, let me just say this, friends. If your God can be stolen, it's not much of a God. 
you know? If your God can be stolen, come on. Let's get real here. These little statues or idols or pieces of wood or stone or metal or whatever, uh, it's, it's, it is almost comical. But um, Now, Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. And what he's answering is the first part of the question, why did I leave secretly? The second part of the question, what about the household idols? With whomever you find your gods, don't let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. So in other words, here's a bunch of eyewitnesses. Now you go find what's yours. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. Now that must have been comfortable. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. All right, let's see what do I have in my notes for you. Um, we talked about the restraint of evil, uh, the mindset of harm that he had towards Jacob, but he wasn't going to uh, be able to do that. Um, it's evident that, that this household idol thing was very bothersome to him. I mean, maybe these were some valuable, like, trinkets, you know, like, I mean, like a small thing, like this ring is very valuable to me. You know, you might, I, I'd be hunting for it. I lost it one time, and then I found it in my pocket. <laughs> it was a funny story I'll tell you another time. But anyway, uh, you know, that's a different matter than, Maybe, maybe these are made out of gold or silver or something like that. I don't know why. I mean, was it his worship of those gods? I have no clue. Why is he, you know, so... It seems like there's a little bit too much idolatry going on here uh, in that situation. Uh, and somehow, uh, you know, this, this does give me a lot of pessimism because, you know, remember how Abraham sent to this portion of the, of the world to find a wife for Isaac? And then Isaac sends his son Jacob to this portion of the world to find. And I said, you know, maybe there's some remnant of the true God there. And we're going to see that as we read. It will come up. But at this point, we're like, man, why did he go there to find a wife who, as beautiful as she was, had the character to steal stuff and follow after these idols? Not too good. A bit of a mystery here. Um, not a woman of, of great character. And listen, beauty cannot overcome problems of character. Beauty is passing. Proverbs 31 says, but character remains. If you think, you know, as young people, as you think about marriage and finding a spouse, if you think that, you know, this young man or this young woman, I'm, I'm, I'm settling for them because they're not a perfect 10. But they have Christ, good Christian character. You take the Christian character before you take the 10 any day of the week. This is a, extremely important because if you take the 10 as opposed to the character, you probably get a divorce with it. And you don't want that. Okay? Recognize that if you take the character, you get the way better end of the deal. Character outshines looks any day, and that character is what you need to look for in a spouse. So I admonish all of our young ladies and young men here. Okay? Jacob offered Laban to search, you know, go, go ahead and find it. Rachel cleverly concealed the idols so that Laban could not find them despite his careful search. And so Jacob then becomes angry about this because he's in ignorance. He's wrongly angry in a way, but he's ignorant, so he's, you can't blame him. So he rebukes Laban, and this get, opens the door for him to kind of pour out his complaint to Laban and say, look, you've kind of been a louse. Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that you so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? See, set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. So God arranged again although through deception, that Laban would be uh, ashamed. 
These 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. They're young. I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. In the day the drought consumed me and and, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Don't lose sight of the fact that God is the hero of this story. Okay, God is the one who was watching out for Jacob and made all these arrangements. Um, so uh, God rebuked Laban, as we know, in that nighttime dream. And then Laban made an, a lame excuse here. He says, these daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock, and all that you see is mine. <laughs> sounds, sounds funny, doesn't it? Mine, 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 everything's mine. All this stuff. He's claiming that, that Jacob has stolen the things. But what can I do? You know, he sees there's no recourse for him. Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant between you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jigar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid. Also Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. And Laban said to Jacob, Here is this heap and here is the pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father, that's Terah, judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread, and they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. So they made this uh, agreement uh, between themselves. Um, let me just mention, too, that you know, Laban refused to be satisfied with what God had given to him, and he demanded recompense. He was fine to deceive and manipulate others, but when God kind of manipulated him, he didn't like it too much. See that? Didn't like it, the road going two ways, but it did go two ways. Uh, I'm not suggesting Laban used deceptive means. I'm sorry, that Jacob used deceptive means like Laban did. But even if Laban thought that Jacob had used deceptive means, why would he excuse himself but blame Jacob for the same kind of conduct? So they made this agreement. And uh, he's concerned about Jacob's treatment of his daughters. Fair, fair treatment. But he's already had, let's see... uh, um, 13 years of track record where Jacob has cared for his daughters as his spouses, right? Hopefully his track record is already good. And, uh, you know, Laban didn't have such a great track record himself. Remember how he married off his older daughter first, deceptively? Yeah, well, so I wonder what they had to say about that, Dad. Why did you do that to us or force us into that kind of situation? So they memorialized their covenant by building a heap of stones as a landmark, a boundary, a reminder. They had a meal there to seal that deal. And uh, they said, look, you know, we're burying the hatchet. Uh, uh, Laban didn't agree with Jacob, but they agreed to just have peace. No war, no fighting, better outcome. People don't die that way, that sort of thing. Notice how Laban invoked God, the God of Abraham the God of Nahor, that's the brother of Abraham, and the God of their father, who is Terah. Now, Nahor was the grandfather of this Laban. So he's saying, the God of my grandfather, 
and your grandfather and our great-grandfather together shared. May he be the witness between us. Why did they say, my God? Perhaps there was, there was something, after all, of, of Abraham and Isaac sending to seek wives for their children there because the God of Terah, the God of Nahor, the God of the Israelites was there in that place. But I'm wondering if grandson Laban kind of yeah, got off track, is what our sister says, didn't follow the God of his forefathers. Now, Jacob addressed God uh, this way. He said, the fear of his father Isaac. Now, Jacob is taking God as his own God. We know that from other portions that we've read. But he makes this oath. I think we see that um, in verse number 53. Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and offered that sacrifice. Uh, it wasn't, shouldn't have been necessary for him to swear an oath. Interestingly, Brother James mentioned that this morning about swearing an oath. All he had to do was a simple word of affirmation. A Christian person should just have to say, oh, that's the boundary, that's it. Handshake, done. Okay? You can trust the Christian's word. As far as how uh, the, um, God is addressed here, I just want to say by way of application, I want my sons to think of God as the fear of their father. How would you like your sons and daughters to think of their God and your God? And also they could say that he is the, the God is the fear of their grandfather, both of their grandfathers and their grandmothers and their mother. We respect and fear God and want the next generation to do the same because not only is it the only reasonable thing to do, but it is life itself. It is life itself. To know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, is eternal life. To fear God and to keep his commandments is the summation, the Old Testament tells us in Ecclesiastes 12, of all of life, particularly while you're young. Fear God and keep his commandments. The fear of your parents, the fear of, because we respect God. We do fear him. You know, he, he's not just a, 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 a harmless teddy bear. He is the God of consuming fire. That's the God with whom we have to do. Pure, utterly pure, utterly holy. And that's why we respect him and urge that all of our young people also respect him. You're not beyond respecting the God of the universe, even if you know more than he does. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you don't know more than he does. Well, in the end, Laban said his goodbyes, and Jacob parted from him on his way back to his home country. But just by way of application or conclusion here, in your life, do, you know, when you come up with a, 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 you're at a watershed moment, you're at one of those chapter endings, seek God's guidance by means of prayer in the Bible before you make any big moves, whether it's relocation or financial situation or relationships or whatever. You're not going to get guidance like Jacob and Laban did from a dream, okay? Your dreams are your thoughts, and God doesn't promise to give us new revelation at all in our dreams. But... You must seek it. You must seek wisdom as for gold. Yes, fine gold. You must give it your all. You must ask for it. You must seek help. Find it. If you don't know exactly where it is in the Bible, ask somebody who does know so that you don't make a, a wrong step. And then trust in God's protection. You know, Jacob, can you imagine working for 20 years on a job where you're losing sleep and you're freezing at night and you're burning up during the day and your boss doesn't like what you're doing half the time? I'd quit, <laughs> you know? He kept on, and God protected him. Trust in God's protection. Always be honest in your dealings. Then you don't have to worry about what criticisms will come on down the line 
years later. People may misrepresent you, misunderstand you, have their own interpretation of events, their own pessimistic, unloving, uncharitable kind of thing. But if you've done dealt honestly, you don't have to worry about that stuff. Certainly don't be like Laban, highly possessive and unable to see others prosper. How do you feel when others prosper? I want to be like that. I want to have what they have. I got to get it. We must constantly rebel against materialism in our hearts. Do you get that? You can be a rebel, rebel against sin, because you have the power to do so in Christ. Rebel against sin. Don't rebel against God. Rebel against the sin in your hearts, that materialism that always comes back, or that desire, that lust, that whatever is your pet sin of the, of the week. Watch out for your family members. You don't want them to fall into idolatry as soon as you disappear while you're not watching. And finally, two things related to faithfulness. Rely upon God's faithfulness and develop a character which is like his in that faithfulness. That a simple word of affirmation is your word that, uh, you, you know, obviously if things are within your power to keep, don't make rash promises or things you can't keep, but you be faithful. Faithful to your fellow people, faithful to your family, faithful to your spouse, faithful to your God, and be like him. He's utterly reliable. It doesn't change. There's no variation or shadow of turning with him. He gives us all the good gifts. He gives us the increase so we don't have to complain about other people gaining it by, you know, bad means or whatever. Just live for God, take the increase that he gives you, enjoy that, and uh, be a hard worker. All those things we've touched on in this message. So my initial anticipation coming to the text, what am I going to pick up from this text? Didn't prove, uh, or it did prove to be fruitful, didn't it? I, I was, my, my anticipation wasn't proved to be a false anticipation. It's there. And as we go on through the rest of Genesis, we'll find more. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the uh, word of God today and for the things that it's taught explicitly and the things it's reminded us of in our lives and how to live. It would help us to uh, just rejoice in your faithfulness, your protection, your promises, your keeping, your guidance. You did for Jacob and for Isaac and for Abraham before him and for all the people of God down through the ages, even when you've brought them through very deep waters and very hot fires. You have kept them, and we'll see that when we go to heaven, how it's very evident there. Thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.